Why don't you take your Bibles and go and find your way there? The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. As you turn to Mark, I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 34. It's the passage we read together earlier. But let me remind you of the scene. Moses is up on the Mount Sinai. He's there. And we're told that God was speaking to him face to face. He's about to receive the, sec- the this Ten Commandments for the second time. Whole story there. But he's there. And God does something incredible. He speaks and he describes himself. I wonder if you've ever wondered, how would God describe himself? And in particular, what would God say he is in relation to us? So we have here, in one sentence, God Almighty describes himself for us. Listen again to what he says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on children and on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This isn't someone else describing God. This is God himself speaking to Moses and saying, this is who I am. Can we just for a minute walk through those? He's merciful and gracious, which means he doesn't always give you what you deserve. And he gives you things you could never earn. He is merciful and gracious. There's more good news. It says he's slow to anger. Anyone else want to say, I'm glad for that? Amen. I know who I am. I know this influence my own heart. I know I deserve nothing good. But he's slow to anger. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger. And then God says of himself, a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, which is to say his love never fails and you can count on it. It's this covenant faithful love that cannot be broken. Think about your love. Think about the way you love. And some of you love really well, but even your love, your best days, can be fickle, can it? It rises and falls with circumstances and emotions. Not God's love. Steadfast. It never fails. And one of the expressions of his love is that he forgives. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving sins. What are sins? Sins are all rebellion against him, and yet he forgives us. So much there that we celebrate. These are the kinds of things we like to sing about, don't we? We sing often, we sing passionately about the love of God, the mercy of God. We just sing how deep the Father's love for us. But to stop there is to not get the whole picture. He goes on in verse 7 and says, Of himself, I will be by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. What we see here is the justice of God. 
that God will punish all those who refuse to come to him in faith. We don't like to talk about this quite as much. We didn't sing how deep is the Father's justice. But it's every every bit as much real and needful of our attention. God wants us to know that he is just and he will judge those who reject him. So that's what we have. God describing himself. And you say, what does this have to do with Mark chapter 12? I'm going to use the next 30 minutes trying to show you what this has to do with Mark chapter 12. Because Jesus is going to tell a parable. And as I spent time in that parable, I just kept seeing the character of God. His patience, his mercy, his love, his justice. And so... My aim for us this morning is twofold. I want us to understand the parable and understand what God, what Jesus is trying to say to these Jewish leaders through this parable. But I also want to zoom out a little bit and say, what does this parable told by Jesus tell us about God? And my hope is that we would leave a little bit more in awe of God, that it would encourage us, equip us, and even move us to action. So that's where we're headed, but... First, let's remember where we are in Mark chapter 12. It's been a few weeks. And like I said, we're picking up <clears throat> in the middle of a conversation. We looked at the first half of the conversation. It was at the end of chapter 11. So we're starting a new chapter, but we're not starting a new conversation. Who's involved? Where are we? Remember, it's Tuesday of Passion Week, okay? So we're just a few days before the cross. On Monday of this week, Jesus had gone into the temple and had cleared it announcing judgment on the house of Israel. Then on Tuesday, he went back. He's walking through the temple court, and while he's there, these Jewish leaders, they they come and they confront him. Do you remember their question? I said it this way. What gives you the right? That was their question, and it's not a bad question. You came in here flipping tables, running out merchants, making these big declarations, what gives you the right? Who gives you this authority? It's a good question, but it wasn't an honest question. They knew his claims. They knew who he claimed to be, and their goal was not to learn. Their goal was to trap him, to put him in a situation that he could not get out of, to shame him. They're building a case. But Jesus, in his wisdom, all it takes is one question, and those who came on the offensive are all back on their heels. Remember he asked him that question about who John the Baptist is? He backs him into a corner. They, <laughs> this whole group of men, and not one of them can say a thing. If we say this, we don't win. If we say this, we don't win. We have nothing to say. And now Jesus stands here, these men in front of him, and he has the floor. And as we start chapter 12, we hear what Jesus says to the leaders who have come after him, but now have become his audience. He tells a parable, and the long and short of it is this. Jesus is announcing to them the judgment of God that will come against them. If you had to summarize this passage in one sentence, it's a parable about the judgment of God. It's really putting into words what Jesus had already done in the temple when he flipped the tables and drove out the merchants. 
Jesus is announcing that those who had not been faithful to him would be set aside. That's the heart of this passage, but like I said, it's also a passage in which we see the character of God. So we're going to try to to do both of these things. To consider the declaration that Christ is making and also to see what the parable tells us about who God is. So Mark chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 to 12, so hope you'll follow along as I read. Hear the word of God. Jesus began to speak to them in parables. He said, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and then went into another country. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of that vineyard. And they took the servant and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So again, the owner of the vineyard sent to them another servant. And they struck that servant on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another and him they killed. And so with many others. Some of the servants they beat, some they killed. The owner of the vineyard still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and then the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. And Jesus asked this question. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And those Jewish leaders were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Which means this is good for us today. May God speak to us through the reading and preaching of his word. So here we are in the temple court. Jesus speaking to this group of Jewish leaders. He tells them a parable. You know what a parable is. It's a story that has a greater truth. And I've already told you that this parable is primarily an announcement of judgment. We're going to see that, but we're also going to focus in as we go, and you can follow along on your notes, that this parable and what Jesus is saying helps us see four things about the character of God. His patience, his love, his justice, and his grace. So let's just start at the beginning and try to understand the story that Jesus is telling. It's a story about a vineyard. Jesus says that there's a man and he plants, he builds a vineyard. It belongs to him. But then he does this. He, he gives it over to sharecroppers. And this was very common. Someone who had a lot of money, had a lot of land, they might live in the city. But they would lease out their land to these tenants who would farm and work the land and get the benefits of it. But it was also common that every year around harvest, part of that harvest was paid back to the owner of the land. This was standard, no surprises here. 
This is the basis. A vineyard leased out. And when the time of harvest has come, the owner of the vineyard sends a servant to go and to collect his portion of the fruit. All this is normal. No surprises here. Pretty normal story. But then it takes a turn. He sends a servant, but the tenants who kept the land don't comply. Instead of giving over the portion that's owed to the owner, they take the servant, they beat him up, and they send him back empty-handed. Can you imagine how frustrated the owner must have been when his servant shows up? He comes in, beaten up and with nothing to show for it. So what does he do next? How does he respond? How does he respond to a servant that has come back to him empty-handed, having been beat up by tenants? He sends another servant. He sends another, but the outcome is the same. Verse 4. Again, he sent to them another servant. And this one, they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. So now two servants have gone. Two servants have made the trip, and they've both come back beaten up and empty-handed. At this point, if you're the owner of the vineyard, and two of your servants have come back, they're beaten up, and they're empty-handed, what's your next move? Think about it. What's your next move? Time for drastic measures, isn't it? It's time to do something. What does he do? He sends another servant. This time, however, the servant doesn't return. They took that servant and they killed him. And again, at this point, the owner could have had his way. He could have come against them with force. What does he do next? What would you do next? One servant beaten up, another servant beaten up, a third servant killed. What's next? He sends another. And another. And another. We see there in verse 5, with many others. Some they beat, some they killed. Let's just stop for a minute and pull back the curtain on the parable. Most of the time when Jesus told parables, we're told that the people didn't understand them. In this case, they did, at least to a certain point. They knew, they knew their Old Testament well. Throughout the Old Testament, it was common for the nation of Israel to be described as the vineyard of God. Let me just give you one example. Isaiah chapter 5. See if this sounds familiar when I read it. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat, and he looked for it to yield grapes. Now, this is a parable, or excuse me, it is a parable. And in this context, it's about the nation of Israel. And we could go to several other texts. This is very consistent in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel is God's vineyard. So when they hear this parable, the Jewish leaders, they're not confused about the, the analogy. So, what's going on? We've got God. He's the owner of the vineyard. The vineyard is the nation of Israel. Who are the servants? 
The servants are the prophets of God sent generation after generation after generation. Sent to the people of God, warning them, calling them to obedience, calling them to worship. But you know the story, don't you? How were they received? For the most part, the people of Israel did not listen to the prophets. And it's a cycle that's repeated. God sends prophets. They call the people to return. And over and over, they go their own way. We have testimony of this. Consider Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes this in a little bit of a longer passage, but I think it's worth hearing. God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet to the nation of Israel. And Jeremiah says, but the people did not obey, did not incline their ear, but they walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. From the day your fathers came out of the land of Egypt, God says, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they won't listen to you. You shall call them, but they won't answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It has cut off from their lips. I'll give you one more. This is from Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and who keep his commandments. Daniel says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name. And this is the testimony over and over and over. And this is what Jesus is referring to. The owner of the vineyard sends servant after servant after servant, one after another after another, are rejected, beaten, and some are even killed. And this isn't the main point of the parable, but don't miss what we see here. Don't miss the patience of God. The owner sent a servant to get what he was owed, but the servant was beaten. He sent another, he was hitting over the head. Another was killed, and one after another after another. Why would an owner do this? Is it because he was lazy? Was he just dumb? No, he was patient and merciful. This parable is a reminder of the history of Israel, how for generation after generation, God showed patience. He's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I want to stop here for a minute and encourage you to think about the patience of God, not just for the nation of Israel. We could go around the room and probably every one of us could give testimony to the patience of God in our lives. There are some of you here who did not respond to the gospel the first time you heard it. Or the second time. Or the 200th time. Some of you for years heard the gospel and you ignored it. Aren't you thankful for the patience of God? That he's merciful and gracious and slow to anger? 
and that he did not give you what you deserved. But he showed forbearance. Most of us are believers, yet most of us know what it's like to rebel in our hearts, to, to chase our own passions, to run after our own lusts. And we could, at any point, receive the most just discipline of the Lord. But we don't always. Often he's patient. And his patience has a purpose. If you're in a situation right now where you are in your sin and God has not exposed it and he is being patient with you, know this. His patience has a purpose. Do you remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 2? Do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and the patience of God, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If this morning you are experiencing the patience of God, don't think, I'm good. Think, no, this is my warning. Let his kindness lead you to repentance so that you don't have to have his discipline leading you to the same place. We see his patience as we read through the Old Testament, generation after generation. We see it in the parable, servant after servant after servant sent. This isn't an ignorant owner. This is an owner of incredible patience and mercy. Every servant that came was another opportunity for them to say, I will honor him. Yet they didn't. And when all the servants had been sent, what did the owner do next? Do you see verse 6? We're told that after all the servants had been sent, he still had one other a son whom he loved. He sent the son saying, they will respect my son. Servant after servant after servant had come back beaten and some didn't come back at all. The tenants have proven they are ruthless and merciless. They have no regard for anyone but themselves. Yet the owner of the vineyard again shows patience. He sends another, this time his son. And I don't think we should suggests that he didn't care about the servants. But at the same time, servants are many. Sons are unique. Servants can be replaced. A son, irreplaceable. Servants may be loved, but a son is loved far greater. So the question has to be asked, is this owner out of his mind? No. No. He knew exactly what he was doing. He sent his son. And as Jesus gives this parable, we know he is speaking of himself. The son, loved by the father, sent to live among wicked men who would not accept him and who, in fact, would kill him. What kind of love is this? John tells us God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that you might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us 
And he sent his only son to be the propitiation for your sins. And yet we are like those wicked tenants, aren't we? So quick to reject. We see here that the son came. Verse 7, those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Let us kill him and then the inheritance will be ours. And they did that. They took him, they killed him, they threw him out of the vineyard. Their logic is pretty clear. This might be the end of it. We've killed others. We kill him. What happens after that? It's conjectured that maybe when you see the son coming, you're thinking, surely he wouldn't send his son. The owner must be dead. If the son's coming, this is the last defense. So they take him and they kill him. And Jesus says they throw him out of the vineyard, probably foreshadowing the death of Christ outside the city. What we have is men who are determined that they can control their own destiny. That the owner of the vineyard has no real power over them. It doesn't matter what he does, what he says. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. We'll just keep pushing forward. It's gone okay so far. And in the end, does it sound familiar? Here we have an example of mankind throughout history. People who sense the presence of God, have an idea of his authority, and yet reject it time and time again, believing that in the end, all will probably go their way. This is a parable about the rejection of God, even when he showed unparalleled love. I told you at the beginning that one of my aims this morning is not only to understand the parable, but for us to stand in awe of the character of God. We've seen his patience and now consider his love. We all, we all know, we hear God sent his son, he loved us, but we see it in the parable, maybe it rings a little bit heavier. To consider a real father sending a real son, and that's what happened. God the Father sent his son whom he loved to wicked men. What kind of love is this? And how will we respond to that kind of love? Will we snub it? Or will we worship him and obey him? Here we are in the temple court. Jesus is speaking to this group of Jewish leaders. He's told them this parable. And we're told down in verse 12 that they know it's about them. They know that God is the owner of the vineyard. They know that the servants are the prophets. They know that Jesus has claimed that he is, in fact, the son of God. They hear the parable, and Jesus ends the parable, and he asks them a question. Verse 9, what will the owner of the vineyard do? They killed his son. What will he do? He doesn't make them answer. He answers. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. I told you at the beginning, this is a parable of judgment. If you had to summarize it, Jesus is declaring judgment on the nation of Israel and in particular on the leaders of that nation. We could spend a long time unpacking what this means about the history of the plan of redemption. David gave us a great intro to that last week. So we consider the old covenant that was rejected and the new covenant that was established. 
What we see here, and we could, like I said, we could spend a long time talking about Israel being set aside and the Gentiles being grafted in. The old covenant and the new covenant, that's all here. But we should not miss here, because we could be just good theologians. We could spend all our time talking about how Israel was set aside and the Gentiles were grafted in, and we'd have a lot of fun. And we may not miss, or we may miss this, that this is a reminder to us of the justice of God. That there will come a day when he will withdraw his patience and he will withdraw his mercy. God said to Moses that he will by no means clear the guilty, which is to say that those who remain in their sin, those who do not repent and believe, will receive the just wrath of God. Something we don't talk about as much as we probably should. That he is just and he will judge all those who stand against him. And that's the announcement here. Jesus stands before these men and tells them that they are under the judgment of God. And the same is true for every one of us who don't believe. We are born enemies and rebels. Because of our sin, we are at odds with God. And all who remain in their sin will face eternal judgment. It's what the Bible calls hell. Paul tells us in Romans 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Do you see that in those tenets? Suppressing what they know they should do? The Bible teaches there is eternal judgment for all who reject Christ. And we can say, I don't really like to read Romans 1. I just usually skip to 4 or 5. And when I get to Matthew chapter 24 and 25, we're just going to skip over those. Jesus talks about hell a lot, but I'm not going to read the study notes. We'll just plow through. And maybe you wish that we could just move on past this. But let me tell you, the fact that we have this and it's told to us, this is a kindness of God. These warnings are a kindness we need to remember that servant after servant after servant has been sent. And if we turn our ears, we will stand accountable. Jesus uses this parable to show these men who they are. They have not repented. They have not believed. We see their response in verse 12. Even after hearing this and knowing it was directed towards them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the people. So they left and went away. They heard, they understood, and they walked away. Jesus gives this parable, and then he, he gives one other thing. He gives a prophecy. Let me try to frame it for us. Let's read it first. Verse 10, after giving the parable and asking the question and answering the question, he says this, have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. He just told a parable that predicts and prophesies his rejection. And now he gives another prophecy, a prophecy that will be accomplished through his death. And what we have here, it's a quotation from Psalm 118. 
which is worth noting because Psalm 118 was a Passover psalm. It was a psalm that was sung during Passover. Remember on Sunday, this is Tuesday, on Sunday, Jesus comes into town and they sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were singing Psalm 118. This was a psalm that during this week, these guys would have been singing. And traditionally, when they got to the part that it said the stone that the builders rejected, they said, that's Israel, that's us. We were rejected by the nations, but God will build his kingdom on us. But Jesus takes it a different direction. He speaks of himself. He has already prophesied his death. But now he prophesies that through his death, he will become the foundation for God's plan of salvation. Have you not heard this? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus spoke of himself, and the reason we know this is true is because we see it confirmed throughout the rest of the New Testament. Peter talks about it twice. Brian read one of those passages for us early in our service. We also see in Acts chapter 4. Remember in Acts 3, Peter and John heal a crippled man? They get arrested for it. They're put on trial. Peter has a chance to give his testimony, and he says, Acts 4, 8, Rulers and people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it's by him that this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. He adds a word. You rejected him. You, the builders, but he's become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Do you see what we have here? Jesus prophesies his death, says, you will reject me, you will kill me, but haven't you heard what will happen when you do? The stone that the builders rejected will become the cornerstone. In the sending of servant after servant, we see the patience of God. In the sending of his only son, we see the love of God. In the owner's final response to the tenants, we see the judgment and the justice of God. And now through this prophecy, we see the grace of God. We see here that God knew what he was doing when he sent his son to wicked men. He knew he would be killed, but he knew that he would rise again. And through that, he would become the foundation and the means through which all who believe will be saved. There is salvation to no one else. There is no other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. And I love verse 11. Also a quote from Psalm 118. This was the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. God sent his son to die. Accident? No, sovereign grace. It's marvelous. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. It's the love of God for us. Jesus says all this. We've already seen the response there in verse 12. Though they heard and they understood, they ignored. And we end with this question. It's a question that must be asked. We have heard, how will we respond to the patience of God? 
Will you presume on his kindness? Or will you recognize that his patience is meant to lead you to repentance? What about his love? Maybe this morning you've felt in a a renewed way the love that God showed in sending his son. And yet how often do we question it? Whether or not God really cares for us. We look at our situation, we look at our suffering, and we doubt, does God really care? And can I tell you, he sent his son for you. Oh, he loves you. And he invites you to come and to live in his love, to find rest in his love, to find hope in his love. We've seen his patience, we've seen his love, we've seen his justice. And we can be like those who were aware of the justice and yet lived their own way. Or we can stand in fact, excuse me, we can stand in awe of the fact that the God who has every right to judge us has made a way for us to escape judgment. This is the good news. And this is the news that we have to proclaim, that all people are under the judgment of God, but there is hope through Christ. Church, this is the message that we must share. We must not be silent. told you at the beginning that my hope was that we would spend these 40 minutes standing in awe of the character of God. That it will lead us to more passionate worship. That it will strengthen us for our fight against sin. That it will give us endurance for greater faithfulness and that it would encourage boldness in our witness. This is our God. He says of himself that he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is our God. How will you respond? The choice is ours. May we be humbled at his patience, overwhelmed by his love, made Aware of his justice, may it lead us to fear, and may his grace lead us to hope.